0: Bow your head and your heart with me, if you would, please. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so very much for who you are in us. Thank you, Father, that the Son came to be with us the time that we celebrate Christmas and to know that you are with us and, Father, that we flow in you and the love that you have for us is absolutely fantastic. Thank you. We honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk with you just a little bit about the amazement of Christ, all right? The amazement of Christ. When you think of Christmas, we, we, um, we of course, think of the baby Jesus. We think of uh, the manger and Mary and Joseph. We think of the three wise men. We think of the angels. We think of the shepherds. How many played a shepherd in a play at one point in your life? I tell you what, I did too. I never got the major roles. It was always the shepherd but it was a shepherd that Jesus liked for some reason. It was He just kind of hung around. The shepherds, by the way, during that time were the scourge of society, just so you know it. But that's the nativity. That's what, we, that's what we call the nativity. That's what we know of as Christmas. But the full composite of what was going on at Jesus' birth was actually nothing shy of absolutely earth-shattering. It was colossal, amazing. What Isaiah was trying to tell us: the Son of Almighty God was timed absolutely perfectly in history to appear on this Earth for each and every single one of us. And the outcome was nothing shy of epically monumental, for all of humanity, for all of time. I mean, here we are. We just talked about how, you know you're not gonna, everybody think about it, you know? In a hundred years, you'll all be dead. Most likely, medical science. You might not. Maybe one hundred, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Maybe who knows? Medical science. You might want to live to be one hundred and fifty. But who in the world wants to live to be one hundred and fifty years old? Kind of just walking around. You know, you're tripping over your oxygen and everything. It's just you know, I want to go home. And the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 is prophesying of this very, very epic event that we call Christmas. This is what we do. We call this time of the year Christmas. At least it's the time, who knows what the actual birth of Christ was. was, We know about when it was, but this is the time at least we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says this. For a child will be born to us. I want you to note that word. It's an object pronoun. And that word is very, very important. And we're going to come back to that. For a child was born to us, a son was given to us. And the government or the role, absolute role of Christ, the the dominion, the complete sovereignty of this baby will rest upon his shoulders. This is an amazing story. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end, get it, no end. There will be no end to the uh, increase of his government or of the peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From then on and forevermore, get that word forevermore, it will never, never stop. And because of that, it says the zeal of the Lord of armies or the zeal of angels is going to make sure of it. It's never going to stop. It's going to accomplish it. So Isaiah was prophesying about a a heavenly, um, even an earthly government, if you would, or an earthly kingdom uh, that was going to be placed on this little baby's shoulders, This little little baby that was born. All of it's placed on his shoulders. Follow me here. Isaiah was saying that this baby that he was prophesying was an absolute supreme ruler. There was no one beyond him. He was a supreme ruler of all kings, of all governments, of all leaders, of all authorities, of all time. Nothing will compare to this little teeny baby, which the government is resting on his shoulders. Of all time, all, all think of all the leaders and all the big wigs and power people throughout all of life and today and whoever shall be. There's nothing in comparison to this little baby and all that Isaiah is prophesying that will rest on his shoulders. I mean, this really wasn't an everyday event, you know. You don't get this kind of news every single day. Um, It was once in a lifetime it happened, and it will never, ever happen again. Never in the history of this world and mankind. In the newspaper world, whenever there is a gigantic, big, massive story, and it breaks out into the news... Then they put this enormous print at the very top of the paper. And it's massive. It's big. It's colossal so that all the world, and it will capture you. Well, a little too quick with the paint, the thing, but here it is. Like, for instance, when President John F. Kennedy, president is dead, shot, assassinated, November 22nd, 1963, Dallas, Texas. Massive, president is dead, colossal print, all of the known world is seeing this print and knowing that this man has just been assassinated. Martin Luther King. Uh, well, actually, he didn't walk on the moon, but there he is. Uh, Dr. King. So 50,000, he was killed in, 1960, in April of 1969 in Memphis, Tennessee. 50,000 marchers followed Dr. King to his final homage, and he was buried in Atlanta, Georgia. Massive letters. The whole world sees them. All over the world. Caption. Something has just happened. The last one. So the uh, United States uh, walks on the moon. Not the, actually the whole United States. Just a few guys. And so Neil, Ar- Neil Armstrong and a few others. Men walk on the moon. And uh, one uh, small step for mankind. One giant step for one small step for man, one giant step for mankind. Uh, Neil Armstrong. So that was massive. Nobody ever walked on the moon. For I remember, I was in Debbie's. Uh, Debbie's. Uh, I was like uh, 18 years old in your living room, and you had a color TV, and none of us had a color TV. I didn't have no color TV. We had a black and white. We were lowly, and so her father was high and lifted up, and so he had a nice color TV. And so we we'll are watching Neil Armstrong and these guys walk on the moon in July, and, uh, and, and also your mom had a lot of food, I remember that, a longhorn cheese, I remember that too. Yeah, man, I tell you, it was just good eats. But I remember it, all the world was to, all the world was just zeroed in on the fact that these men had walked on the moon. The largest type known at that time in all of publishing was in the front page of these newspapers and others that were colossal stories. Now this type has a very interesting name. Of all news sources, they all use it, no matter who they are. This type, this kind of type is called second coming type. Second coming type. They knew if they were going to put something big, they don't know anything bigger than the second coming Of Jesus Christ. That's when they did this many, many, many years ago. But they couldn't think of anything more monumental, so they made it second coming type, and it is called that to this very day. It's reserved for the biggest and the most monumental news stories in the entire world. You've seen them, you've witnessed them, now with the internet, it still has it. They'll use that gigantic type there. We're talking here in Isaiah chapter 9, we're talking about the biggest and most monumental event ever to hit the history of mankind. And that is the coming or the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just a story, as you well know. This is an actual historical event of the mighty King of God, this Prince of Peace, this mighty Counselor, almighty God, born as a, in some shabby settings. And the world took notice at that time, at least the, the nation of Israel. And this is what Isaiah was trying to pump into them. It starts out with the birth of Jesus Christ and it ends with the second coming. And then there's eternity and then he comes back and, depending on your eschatology and all that, he comes back and establishes his own kingdom again. He's going to establish it again. But right here, what we're seeing is the proclamation and the heavenly announcement of this second coming type. And this second coming type and this proclamation of the Son of God, even though it's his first coming, it's the second coming. Coming type that's out there actually it wasn't out there with Isaiah but you can tell it actually ended up becoming very monumental it was huge news he was telling all of Israel, you got to hear this he's saying because it's unbelievable in Luke in chapter 1 and verses 31 through 33 Luke chapter 1 verse 31 through 33 it says this there's an angel proclaiming you've heard it it's very nativity I just made that up is Elizabeth Oath here? Oh, she's not here. Our English teacher, Nativitas. Nativitas. There you go. It's a new word. It's going to be on a test. Remember? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Luke chapter one verses thirty-one through thirty-three. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. Now I want you to know something. Jesus was was a very common name. Very common, very much used. It was a tra- actually it's translated from Greek into Yushia U- or Joshua. Very common, always used, all the time, and it's translated into English as Jesus. And so it's a very, you know uh, it was common in his day, and um, and it was for a reason, a very very specific reason. And it was supposed to be for a very, very specific reason. That very, very specific reason was because of you. And you, and you, and you. That's the reason he took this common, everybody's got it, name. Yushia. Jesus. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never, never end. Same thing Isaiah is talking about forever in chapter 9 of Isaiah. Never ends. So, all throughout Scripture, there's this emphasis, and the emphasis is that the king is coming, and with the king, he's bringing a kingdom. There's this king, and there's this kingdom. What does that mean to us? It means a lot to us, this little baby Jesus that was born in this very lowly area. The king is coming. How many remember the Bill Gaither trio? The king is coming. Praise God, he's coming today. I'm going through puberty, excuse me. It was an amazing song at the time. Sound like some kind of a dog just got hit by a car. All right. So it is this second coming type. The king is coming and his kingdom is coming with him king has come down, born of a virgin, second coming type. It's miraculous. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. I don't know whether I have it up there, do I? If I don't. Therefore, the Lord himself, just to confirm this, the Lord himself will give a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. It means God's with you. God is with you. Emmanuel. Aren't you glad that God's with you? Aren't you glad that when you don't think it, he's with you? Aren't you glad when you think you're all alone and no one really understands he is with you? Even when you think things can't get any worse, he is with you. Even when you're not sure of yourself and sometimes you're scratching your head about, God, where are you? He is with you always. Even though at times you go, I don't know why you're with me, God, you're not really doing anything. He's with you, and he is doing things, and tomorrow looks better than the day before. Constantly with us, Emmanuel. It was prophesied by a virgin, and exactly what happened, it was fulfilled. A kingdom happened with this little baby. Now, we in the United States, we are unfamiliar with kings and kingdoms. Matter of fact, we don't like them. We have a history of not liking kings. We have a history of not liking kingdoms. We have a particular problem with kings. Matter of fact, we as a nation were established to rebel against kings and kingdoms. I rebel against you. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tax me. You don't taxation without representation. No, I don't like that stuff. And so we so dislike because the king of England... In the UK, we so disliked them that we declared our independence of a king in a kingdom. We declared it in 1776. We'd have nothing to do with it. As a result of that, Americans are known throughout Europe. I would have to ask Dr. Casey and some of our other people. You know, Dr. Kaltu and others. Americans sometimes around the world are known as you know just kind of spoiled people. You know, we uh, you know you don't tell us what to do. We'll do what we want to do. You know, freedom is a is a word. I'm not going to get political here. I could, but I won't. Uh, freedom is a word. that could be very dangerous if you take it to a f- the furthest extent. I want my own freedom. We don't. Sometimes we don't like guardrails. We don't like laws. We do You know why we why we have that? Why does that stop sign have to be there? Nobody hardly ever. I mean, you ever see any cars until somebody's hit by a car there. So we have a we have an affinity against kings and rulers in general in the United States. Even those of us, because most of the people in the United States were from Europe and other places anyway, our lineage was. But the idea of a kingdom implies total dominion and total sovereignty. Absolute control. And with God, he's in control of all of it. He's in control of the earth, and he's in control of the wind. He's in control of the weather. He's in control of the space. He's in control of planets. He's even in control of time. It's interesting. You really notice time when you get older. You take a look in the mirror and you say, I wish I could roll the time back. <laughs> kind of look in and go, oh, I look like my father. When you have that tight skin, that's not a problem. But one day, <laughs> Jesus said in John chapter 8, Jesus said this in John chapter 18. He said that his kingdom is not of this world. It's not even here. It's not of this, it it doesn't represent this world, so to speak, although one day it will at some point. However, however, Jesus said, um, he did say this in Luke chapter 17, what the kingdom is, is in you. The kingdom is not a place or something physical that you feel, it's inside of a human being that has given their lives to this wonderful counselor this Prince of Peace, this mighty God. That kingdom rests inside your very soul and spirit. And then the promise of Isaiah chapter 9 and also Luke 1 says the kingdom is never going to come to an end. Never come to an end. And I'll tell you why. Look, Romans chapter 14. I don't think, did I put this up? Romans chapter 14? Romans chapter 14 verse 17 by the way, um, this, is, this is very interesting. The word kingdom is mentioned 70 times in the New Testament, kingdom of God, kingdom of God, 70 times in the New Testament. And in the book of Matthew alone, it's, it's mentioned 30 times, or the kingdom of heaven, the, the kingdom of God. So it's obviously very, very important to us. And what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean? What is this kingdom of God? Those of you who remember the teacher, Bob Mumford, his whole theme was the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Actually, I never met this man. He was dead before we got here. But Ivan Q. Spencer, the founder of the school, I understand his emphasis was also the kingdom of God because Bob Mumford said he learned so much from him about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. It's not natural stuff. It's not the natural stuff you do every single day. It's not eating or drinking. But it is three things. What is it? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those major th- That is the kingdom of God. Now, there's much more that curtails that. But the fact is, that's what it is. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the, in the Holy Spirit. It's the rule of Christ on earth and in heaven. It's the blessings and it's the advantages that flow as a result of the ruleship of Christ all of the advantage that we have. And also, it's the subjects. The kingdom of God is the church of Jesus Christ. We are part of that kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. And see, the word is righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of its what? Righteousness. And then all these things will be added, all these blessings, all of the advantages, all these things that God has given. We stay within the kingdom of God boundaries. It keeps me from doing what I want to do all the time. It keeps me from just being selfish and wanting to do my own thing. Now, at times, we're all going to do that. But there is a rule, and when you move within the rules, um, again, laws are here. When people say, I can do anything I want. When you break a law and you break a rule, there is ramifications of that all the time with all people. We can be forgiven. We can walk out of it. There's a great victory. There's great, wonderful things there. But when we do that, we always emotionally, psychologically, physically, somehow, spiritually reap sometimes the negative repercussions from that. Um, That's the promise that really is the Christmas story. You're all going to go home, many of you, and you're going to be under the tree. There's going to be presents for you. It's going to be you know, this is so wonderful, it's so great. You, know, you all have memories, you're going to be with family, some are going to struggle a little bit, but the fact is, you're going to be going home, and you're going to, this is the Christmas time of the year, and this is the Christmas story. And that is, I live within the boundaries of Christ. I live within the kingdom of God, and I live within the blessings that he's given me. So Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7 what he's trying to tell the nation of Israel is, I want you to see that this is a very redemptive time in your life. I want you to see that's very powerful regarding this king and his kingdom. Matter of fact, Isaiah is saying, I'm talking about the Messiah. This little teeny baby that no one have ever thought, especially being born the way he was born in the town that he was born in. It was a mess. No one of royalty would ever do such a thing. We put out do-good things for people who just come, come here. I remember when the tracks... People came here. it looked like a you know a presidential news conference here. They got the big, big black table and the microphones and everything out we just would every, everything's nice because we respect them. The Son of God comes and he wants to come into and start living in a mess, which is exactly what you and I were born in. a curse, a mess. It's sometimes difficult out there. It's confusing and it gets sometimes even worse as we go on, but the the grace of God and the presence of God and the relationship with him grows stronger and stronger through the midst of all those things that try to attack us. Students, listen here. I want you to see this remarkable king that we celebrate and this king that is being prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 9. The first part of Isaiah and that verse 6, it is so important. I'm just going to concentrate on this just a little bit, share a couple things, and I'm going to end it. It's That verse 6 is amazing when I look at it. It makes me want to cry sometimes. For a child was born to us. A son was given to us. And the government's upon his shoulders. It's a very personal thing. For us. Well, but there's many of us. There's millions of us. There's people all over the world. That's a lot of us's. And God has this way of personalizing everything for us. you ever sat down and thought, how can you be listening to me and dealing with my stuff when you got so many other people to worry about and deal with? There's only one answer. He's God. He's almighty. He is omnipresent. He is every place. That's faith. You felt him. You know it. So we read right here in one half of one verse, we read about the humanity and we read about the deity and we read about the sovereignty of God. This, this little child that's being born. Now let's not concentrate on the deity. Let's not concentrate on the sovereignty. I want to concentrate because we talked about it a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about the humanity here as I move toward the end, I want to talk about the humanity. For unto us a child is born in Bethlehem. It was a stinking, rotten place. It was so bad and so insignificant that they didn't even count among the clans of Judah. It was, they didn't even count it. Bethlehem's not worth a whole lot. It was, why would he go there? Are your kings, uh, right, from Bethlehem? Sure, you know, we're going to believe that. It was, it, uh, he was born in a filthy, nasty, smelly, unsanitary barn. Nothing sterile about this at all. He was laid evidently in some cradle, some animal feeding trough. That's our king of kings. And um, none of us would think it's fitting of a, of a king. But nonetheless, he did it, and he's done this for you and me because of what we do and how we do it and the way we think and the way we go on and the things that bother us and in the depravity that we were born in in terms of the curse, the sin of man. He had to come in not some haughty way, but the kind of way that sometimes I don't understand it. I mean, I do, but He could have gotten like a leg up from a trough. (laughs) Maybe a leg up from some nasty, rotten barn. But he didn't. He didn't. Bethlehem was that insignificant place. It was lowly. But he did it as a result of us, this personal connection with us. It's always been interesting to me with the evangelical church um, how we defend the deity of Christ. And we should. We need to defend the deity of Christ, and that is that Jesus is indeed God. He says in John 14, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So the the deity of Christ should be, uh, you know, we should defend it. But we often uh, don't defend the humanity of Christ. And here's where I'm going with this that he was fully God and he was fully man at the same time. There's this human part of Jesus that is our connection, our personal connection with him. This is ours. This human, uh, human condition, um, falling short condition part, that's ours. Personally, intimately with him. When we're qu- that's the reason for the common name. Just Yushia, you know, Joshua, Jesus. Very common. Why don't you call yourself something like the most powerful, holy God, king, and potentate? Why just a common name, John or Bill or Tom or something like that? Because that's exactly what he wanted to do in connection with the people that we are. He's saying, I'm one of you, yet I'm from God. Actually, I even am God. (laughs) Quite interesting. How amazing it is about his agape love for us. In all of this manger scene, this, 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 this nativity scene that he's given us. I don't want you to, I, listen, don't forget this, by the way, just historically. I don't want you to forget that the first heresy of the early church was not an attack on the deity of Christ. It wasn't. It was an attack on the humanity of Christ. It was called Gnosticism. The denial that Jesus had an actual real body. It was an attack on that. And we're really good about... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You know, that, that, that deity part, it's wonderful, and it's great, and it is powerful Scripture. But you got to move down a little bit to where it becomes very personable for us. This is the part sometimes where I want to cry. And that is verse 14, where it says, And the Word became flesh, and lived, and dwelt among us, each and every one of us individually. A personal interaction and meeting and conference with the almighty king, the prince of peace, this baby Jesus that was proclaimed at this time. Us. He dwelt among us and dwells among you now. See, this is the Christmas story, the love gift that God has given us from us because he lived among us and he suffered among us too. To live among humanity is to feel what we feel, to to redeem us from the curse, to provide for us grace and mercy and love in this humanity and human condition that we carry that is not nice all the time. It weighs us down, but it's the only thing we have because this is who we are. So here, this is really weird. I'm going to say it to you. Don't freak out. But I'm gonna say it to you because it's true. You gotta get this. This is how personal, personable it is to us. So this whole thing, this whole Christmas story is about God in a womb, God with an umbilical cord, God as a fetus. Is that crazy? And God being born into this world, just like every single one of us are born into this world. That's how human it was. That's how connected it is with us. He understands us. For us, a child was born. Unto us, a son was given. He felt like all the rest of us. If you remember, he slept. When he was in the boat and it was getting ready to the storm and he was sleeping in the boat. He sleeps. How many sleep here? Maybe some people sleeping now. I don't know. They're not here. Some people aren't here. <laughs> he was fatigued when he was talking to the woman at the well. He said um, he was weary and he, from his journey. He rested. He gets tired. He was a man just like you. When he was being tempted by the enemy, he was he had been fasting for 40 days. The scripture says he was hungry. He had human needs. Lazarus. He connects us with the emotional part of you. He wept. He wept. You're emotional, and I am emotional, and Jesus is emotional, and he understands the emotion that you go through, the sorrow that you go through, because he provides in his kingdom this this hope that only he can give. And and finally, he understood death, and he died like everybody dies, in particular when there's a lot of Horrific pain. So young brothers and sisters, listen, we can't forget this Christmas time. We can't forget. We shouldn't forget. We must not forget. Because if we minor on the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, then what we do, we actually minimize the compassionate, empathetic part of the reason why he came. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says this. For we don't have a high priest who can't empathize, not sympathize. Sympathy is, I really feel bad for you. I'm going to pray for you. I feel so terrible. Empathy is saying, I've been where you're at. I've gone through what you've gone through. I understand what you're feeling. We don't have a high priest, it says, who can't empathize with the weaknesses. But one who has been tempted, <sighs> do you really believe this? One who has been tempted in every way just as you are he was jesus doctor he wouldn't tempted in every way every single way that we have been tempted he was tempted and the cool thing about this was that he did not sin in this human form what does that do for us Because he did not sin in this human form, that allows us to be forgiven because we do sin. And he understood, and that's the reason he came in this form. Because he understood that we do sin and and the needed to be a redeemer. So he fought that and won that battle in the flesh. Hallelujah. And because he did, so can we. And if we don't do it all the time, there is mercy and grace and forgiveness with God. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the amazement of our God and our King. So I just wanted you to see a little bit something different in in the whole experience of Christmas. I can see it now on the daily news. This picture on the front page. Child born, mighty God, Prince of Peace, second coming type. Powerful God. Can you see it? Can you feel it? This is the Christmas story. This is the reason we celebrate Christmas as it is. Brothers and sisters, young brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, when you go back, i want to say this because Brother Tim's going to be coming up and doing a communion here, but when you go back, what I want you to do when you go back is I want you to share about this king and this priest, this holy man, this little baby, this son of God to somebody during, your, during, your, during your, your time away, during your month away here, share about this. And watch, I said this before, watch what the Holy Spirit does. How many here have ever led somebody to Christ? Okay, there's a few of you here. I believe by the Holy Spirit, for those of you who will share the gospel with someone, Not only will they benefit from it, you are going to benefit from it. You're going to see the power.